The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Before I do that, though, I want to say something about uh, Psalm 126 that Jim read earlier. It began with when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion. We were like those who dreamed that our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. If you just think of June 6, 1967, when you read that particular part of that Psalm, when the soldiers went up to the Western Wall, everything was quiet They touched the wall for the first time in 2,000 years. It was theirs again. And they stood there and they sang and they rejoiced. And these were non-believers. Most of them were just secular Jews, but they they, they understood something greater than anything they'd ever imagined it occurred. And when you read the 126th Psalm, I want that to come to you. And then you go to the second part of the Psalm. It says, bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. It says there, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And the thought is that at the end of the season, before the uh, grain season begins, you've got a certain amount of seed that you've saved for the next year, right? And there's not a lot of food. You've eaten all the food of the previous year, probably. Things are scarce, and you're saying, I could eat this, or I could trust God, and I could put it in the ground, And maybe I'll get a harvest, and if I do, then we'll eat well again at the end of the year. So you're taking a chance by sowing your seed, and then it says, he who does this, even in weeping, he's weeping as he's throwing away his last food. It says he will doubtless come again, rejoicing with his sheaves with him. And what is that speaking of? It's not speaking of grain so much as it's speaking of human souls. People that like our sister over in, which I can't say, and our uh, other people that we support that are overseas that are sowing seed of the gospel and they're over there weeping sometimes because they're away from family they're away from friends they're away from the things that are familiar to them they're living sometimes in really gross conditions but they're going to reap a harvest and they're going to bring their sheaves with them someday into the lord's presence and say see lord this is my this is what i've done in order to further your kingdom and to bring souls back to christ And that's for anybody that goes out and tells about Jesus. It's not just, you know what, it's so easy to just ignore that part of the Bible. But there is a pastor that uh, I loved him. He died on November 7, 2004. He was my pastor at the time, and uh, Bill Ross. And he said something I've always remembered. You can can, uh, witness with your person, or you can witness with your purse. Some people just aren't good at witnessing. Make sure that you take care of your missionaries. Send something to the people. We know somebody that I'm thinking of right now. I can't give her name and I can't give her location, but she's over there right now and she's going to have needs. Once in a while, set something aside. And if you don't want to send it to her directly, give it to me and I'll send it and I'll give you a receipt. And like I say, we've got several other missionaries that are out there doing that we support, about five of them, I think. And um, I don't know if I told you, but Bruce, he is going over to the the Jewish guy that opened us. He is going where he was talking. Don't say where out loud, but um, he is going and it's fully funded. And that was solely because of the superior word, solely. Okay. I don't think any other organization helped him at all. So this is what we do. And this is what God is asking us to do. So either speak with your purse or speak with your person, but let the redeemed of the Lord Say so. Thank you. Okay, Psalm 127. I know that was a little bit long. (laughs) Psalm 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. You know what? When we opened this congregation in this building on October 13th, 2013, that was the text verse for our sermon that day. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. This has nothing to do with me or you or anybody online. It is totally up to the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, 
to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Okay, we're in Leviticus chapter 14. We're going to finish leprosy today. Woohoo! Um, uh, it's uh, 1433 through 57. A lot of verses, but they'll go really quickly, okay? Uh, starting in verse 33, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you have come into the land of Canaan, which I gave you as a possession, and I put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession, and he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, It seems to me that there is a plague in the house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes into it to examine the plague. And all that is in the house may not be made unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in and examine the house. And he shall examine the plague. And indeed, if the plague is on the walls of the house with ingrained streaks, reddish or uh, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread on the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague, and they shall cast them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall cause the house to be scraped inside all around, and the dust that they scrape off they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other mortar and plaster the house. Now, if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house after he has taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house and after it is plastered, then the priest shall come and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread in the house, it is an act of leprosy in the house. It is unclean. Verse 45, and he shall break down the house, its stones, its timber, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, he who goes into the house at all while it is shut up shall be unclean until evening. And he who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, and he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the house, after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, because the plague is healed. And he shall take to cleanse the house two birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. Then he shall kill one over the birds in an earthen vessel over running water. And he shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet, and the living bird, and dip them in the blood of the slain bird and in the running water, and sprinkle the house seven times. And he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and the running water and the living bird with the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet. Then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in the open field and make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. This is the law for any leprous sore and scale for the leprosy of a garment and of a house, for a swelling and a scab and a bright spot to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. Eons ago, I was in a church down the road, the one that I just mentioned, which had Pastor Ross in it, and I was attending there, and a guy was also attending there who was a mildew specialist. And while talking with him about his job, I suddenly remembered this particular passage from Leviticus and the symbolism of it flooded over me in a, just a, in a single moment. Right then I thought, now I know exactly what that passage is telling us. It's funny how something like that works. When I got home, I typed up a commentary and I posted it on my old website. This was a long, long time ago and I never went back and read it until the day that I typed this sermon. Lots of stuff on that old site that I have no idea about anymore. But for the most part, my thoughts, even back then, were correct about what we are being shown. Unfortunately, the symbolism was shoddy at best. And so after finishing the study for this sermon, I went back to the old site and I deleted that page. It would be fine for a general understanding of the passage, but with some incorrect pictures, I couldn't let the thing remain. Studying a passage word by word and verse by verse brings out much more exacting pictures of what the Lord is trying to tell us. But as I said, the major idea of the passage was correct. It is symbolic of other things that are going on in redemptive history, and all of which point to Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. Our text verse comes from Zechariah chapter 5. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. 
Every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll, and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timber and stones. In this passage from Zechariah, it speaks of consuming a house with its timber and its stones. The same terminology is used back here in Leviticus. The Lord there shows us that sin, in this case it is the sin of thievery and perjury, are what brought about the curse, and that curse results in the destruction of the house. Knowing this gives us a general idea of what is being relayed right back here in Leviticus. The word of the Lord is consistent, and one passage will often lead us to a fuller understanding of other passages. However, we still need to be careful with our evaluations of what is going on, and as I learned from my old website page on this passage, we need to be sure not to trust everything that we read. Something may sound convincing, but it can also have error in it just like my old page on this passage. Everything needs to be checked and verified, and everything needs to be carefully evaluated from time to time, lest our doctrine gets off course. I do not regret posting that old page. There is a time where we simply need to write down what we know and get it out there. Even the old Genesis sermons that I did are like this. I can go back and I can see how quickly I went through them and how much I missed. If I could, I would do that book all over again. But the evaluation is done, and the Lord will judge it with his perfect knowledge of my submissions. What is correct will be worth a reward, and what is incorrect will be burned up, and it will be gone. He is the judge, and so to him we need to give our very, very best in all things. But we are his children through faith in him, and so where we are wrong, he will graciously correct us as a father would to his own children. And I'm glad about this because James 3 verse 1 says that teachers will be held to a stricter judgment. I pray that each thing that I submit henceforth is worthy of a thumbs up on that day, even a double thumbs up. His word is precious and its truths are wonderful. Let us cherish it always and hide it deep in our hearts. Great things are to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have three thoughts for you today. The first is the leprous house. It's verses 33 through 47. Verse 33, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, like verse 13:1, the address is now again made to both Moses and Aaron. What is ahead discusses defilement in ritual purification of houses. It is a law coming from the Lord, and therefore it is given through the lawgiver, Moses. But it deals with a new section under the leprosy law, including priestly purification. And so Aaron is also addressed. As one can see, Moses and Aaron are jointly addressed at the giving of the laws which concern overall defilement. First of people, then of garments, and then of houses. Verse 34, when you have come into the land of Canaan, which I give you as a possession... This is the first time that Eretz Canaan, or the land of Canaan, is mentioned in the book of Leviticus. The Lord had promised to bring them into this land in Exodus, and that was based on a previous promise to the patriarchs and their descendants that they would be returned there. Several times in Exodus, the promise was that the Lord would drive out the inhabitants there. This verse in Leviticus now confirms that this will surely be the case. It is taken as a given that they will enter they will dispossess and they will dwell there. There is no if involved. The entire passage is based wholly on this future idea then. It is something that will only come to pass in the land of Canaan. And it is one reason why it is listed last in the order of leprosy. But it's not the only reason. The Lord started with leprosy in a person. Then he went out to leprosy in a garment. Now he moves out again to leprosy in a household. Each is an expansion of the former thought as is next scene. Verse 34 continues, And I put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession. And I put plague leprosy. The Lord specifically says that he is the one to put a plague upon the house. 
Here the Lord claims authority not only over the people, but over their possessions, which extends even to their houses. They were to sanctify themselves. They were to have their garments undefiled, and they were to have their houses kept pure and undefiled as well. Having said that, throughout Scripture, the Lord often represents as having done things which, even through the events of life, he merely permits to be done. In other words, if the symbolism of what is presented is something which the Lord allows, he can still say, I have done this thing, such as I have put the leprous plague in a house. And then, having said that, it is claimed by ancient Jewish writers that, like the leprosy in the garments, this is a unique leprosy not found anywhere else. Thus, it is a type of divine judgment upon the people of the land for various infractions against the moral code. Whether that is true or not cannot be known today. What the leprosy here pictures, however, is clearly symbolic in nature, as will be seen in the verses to come. Verse 35, And he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, It seems to me that there is some plague in the house. What is evident here is that even if the person is certain that he has leprosy in his house, as described by the law, it is not for him to make this determination. I can know that someone in my house has the flu, but we will still take him to the doctor who gets out that annoying nasal swab and does a swipe. After that, a confirmation is made and the appropriate remedy is prescribed. This is the law because only some have the authority to prescribe medicines. In Israel, only the priest had the authority to confirm the plague and prescribe the cure. In type, we can see that our sick condition of sin may be known to us, but it is the Lord who confirms that state to us, and it is he who determines the cure. It is not up to us, but up to the Lord to select the healing remedy or the judgment to be imposed. Verse 36, Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes in to examine the plague, that all that is in the house may not be made unclean, and afterward the priest shall go in to examine the house. This verse actually takes a bit of consideration. There is leprosy in the house, but the priest has not yet proclaimed the house as such. And so, before going in to do so, he gives the command that the entire house is going to be emptied. Anything left in there after the house is declared unclean will also be declared unclean. Therefore, the law as such did not consider the leprosy as infectious in and of itself. This kindness of having the goods removed was to keep from them bearing unnecessary loss, which would otherwise be the case. However, we can see that because the leprosy was declared as such when the priest says so, this is obviously a symbolic type of plague. In picture, we already know that leprosy indicates sin. Therefore, we can see presented here sins which are open, which are obvious, and which can spread. Verse 37, And he shall examine the plague, and indeed, if the plague is on the walls of the house with ingrained streaks, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall. Within the house, and with it emptied, the priest alone was to examine the plague. In this, he was to look for certain specific signs of infection. The first is ingrained streaks. The word is sheka'a a word found only here and nowhere else in Scripture. So say hello and say goodbye to it now. There are two possible roots for the word. The first is kara, meaning to tear. Thus it indicates a look as if streaks have been torn from the wall. The second is shaka, meaning to sink. Thus it would indicate depressions in the wall. This affliction of the wall then corresponds to the affliction of the leper in verse 13.3, where the leprosy was deeper than the skin. And so either way, these depressions will be greenish or reddish. The word greenish is yerakrak. It was first seen in verse 1349. It is believed to give the sense of having a yellowish tone to it rather than being fully green. Although it's such a rare word that there's a lot of disagreement on this. The very last use of it is in Psalm 68 where it is used to describe gold. And so it probably means either yellowish or glistening. The word reddish is adamdam. It has been seen five times so far in the Bible since verse 1319. This is now the sixth and the very last time that it will be seen. You can bid adieu to this word. Finally, it says that the streaks appear to be deep in the wall. The word is shafal, and it was first seen in verse 1320. 
in all. This matches the infection of leprosy in man. It is symbolic of an infection which is displayed in unclean works. There is a turning or a perversion of what should exist. Verse 38, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. This corresponds to shutting up the leper or the leprous garment. An interval is given to determine if any change has taken place. Verse 39, and the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread on the walls of the house, in the case of having it spread, the same thing is noted as for the leper or the leprous garment. Verse 40, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague, and they shall cast them into an unclean place outside the city. There is a pronouncement of uncleanness. However, it is not total. Rather, there is a hoped for remedy to this situation, which is to merely remove any plague stones and cast them to a place set apart as unclean and which is outside the city. The word for take away here, as in take away the stones, is a new one, chalatz. It gives the sense of pulling off, but it's normally used in the Bible as being armed or prepared for battle. The reason is that a person is being pulled off of regular life when being counted among the ranks of an army. In the case of these stones, they are being pulled off from what they were purposed for, a home which was to be a clean place, and they are to be cast into a place which is unclean. Being in an unclean place, they would never again be of any use for any purpose. Verse 41, and he shall cause the house to be scraped inside all around and the dust that they scrape off, they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Here we have another new word, katsah or scrape. It's only going to be seen here and in Ezekiel 46 verse 22, where it is translated as corner. Like this, a second new word, katsah, is also used. It is very, very similar to the other word with a meaning of to cut off or to scrape off. What is to happen here is that the entire inside of the house was to be scraped. The house has a leprous plague, and thus the inside is unclean, just as the furniture would have been if it was still inside. By removing the infected rocks first, no other rocks would be declared unclean. Such would not be the case if the house was scraped first. If that was the case, then all the rock walls would be considered unclean. So here we have an order of things. One, remove the infection. And then two, remove that which had been defiled by it. Everything is scraped. And then three, even the afar or dust had to be taken outside the city to an unclean place and poured out. The word afar or dust is the same as that used in Genesis 2 verse 7 when man was formed from the afar or dust of the earth. The words of this verse can be tasted in Jesus' words to his disciples. There it says in Luke chapter 10, But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerant in the day for Sodom than for that city. The very dust from which man was taken, which is defiled by sin, will be scraped off as unclean. It will be cast into an unclean place where there is only destruction. Verse 42, then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other mortar and plaster the house. The Hebrew reads, and they shall take stones other and put them in the place, the stones, and dust other he shall take and overlay the house. The word for plaster is a new one, tuach. It means to overlay, overspread, besmear, something like that. What needs to be seen here is that the term brick has not been used at any time. A brick is something which is made by man, but abanim, or stones, and afar, or dust, are both made by God. Certainly a picture is being made here, or it would have surely said the stones or the bricks take them out because people made houses out of bricks as well. A picture is being made. What is also necessary to highlight is that there are eight verbs used in this process in verses 40 through 42. Six are plural. They shall take and they shall cast of verse 40. They shall scrape and they shall pour of verse 41. They shall take and they shall put of verse 42. But guess what? Two of them are singular. He shall take and he shall plaster in verse 42. 
Verse 43, now if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house, after he has taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house, and after it is plastered, here the word parach, or blossom, is used as it was several times in chapter 13. If the plague blossoms again after the remedial actions were taken, then verse 44, then the priest shall come and look. And indeed, if the plague is spread in the house, it is an act of leprosy in the house. It is unclean. No time frame is given here. But verse 48 implies that the house was again shut up after the replastering for a set time, after which another inspection was to be made. This would be the end of the third period of seven days. If at this time the plague returned, just like in the garment, the leprosy was to be considered ma'ar, or active. It is the same word used in verse 1351 and 52 concerning malignant leprosy of garments. If this was the case, the house was to be declared unclean. And if unclean, verse 45, and he shall break down the house, its stones, its timber, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. The action here is the same as condemning a leper as unclean and thus being excluded from the camp or for a garment where the plague reappears, which is then to be destroyed. Verse 46, moreover, he who goes into the house at all while it is shut up shall be unclean until evening. This corresponds to verse 1139, where a person who touches a dead animal is unclean until evening. A house which had been declared leprous conveyed its unclean state to any who entered it, but it was an uncleanness of such a slight nature that it ceased in the evening. As we have seen, if someone went in at 7 a.m. or at 5 p.m., the same uncleanness lasted only until the evening. As we saw before, this term, until the evening, looks forward to the work of Christ in the believer. At the end of the age, all defilement will cease, whether a person came to him on the day of first fruits after his resurrection or one second before the rapture. There is a set time where all will be declared fully cleansed, actually, just as we are now in Christ positionally. Verse 47, and he who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, and he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. The same defilement for eating the carcass of an animal that dies naturally, or carrying such a carcass, which was seen back in chapter 11, is seen right here. What verses 46 and 47 show us is that there is no consideration of infection, but rather there is merely symbolic uncleanness which results from these actions. And in reality, it is the law itself which makes the people unclean through their actions. If the law didn't say this, then there would be nothing to declare them unclean. Once the law was introduced, though, uncleanness for such a thing caused defilement to be considered. Thus, this is showing us, as it has continuously, that the law itself and all of its precepts are merely pointing to spiritual truths about moral uncleanness in the world around us. There is leprosy in the house. A cancer is seen. It is one which must be made known and then treated. It has streaked the walls reddish and green. If it isn't taken care of, we will all become unseated. Let us remove the stones which carry the infection and send them off to an unclean place. They have been identified through a process of detection, and we need to remove every leprous trace. And then let us fill in the void with stones that are new and cover them with that which is holy and sound. In this, we will be acting in a manner true, and in our home, purity will again be found. Our second thought today is the leprous house explained. Now, before I get into that, I want to say it's kind of odd that the 127th Psalm came up at the beginning of our sermon. Let me read that to you again, because it's exactly what we're picturing. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. A house is something in which people dwell. For Israel of old, the house was a place for home and family, meals and memories, sleeping and swapping of stories. If a leprous sore was found in it, the actions required by the law were taken. These were, like everything we have seen, simply pictures of spiritual things. In the new covenant of Christ, a house represents on a smaller scale the local church. Quite a few times, Paul mentions in his letters to greet the saints who meet in this house or in that house. Thus, the house was the place of meeting. On a larger scale, the house of God speaks of the church as a whole. It is the smaller houses to which these pictures are directed. 
Even today, we often hear people say, we're going off to the house of God, especially when speaking of the superior word, Sarasota's precious local church. The land of Canaan symbolizes the land possessed by the Lord. It is where the people of God live. This then is any place where the people of God now congregate as a church. In such a place, churches take root and they meet. But it is certain that everywhere they meet, a plague of sin is bound to appear. This type of sin is obvious. It is marked by certain traits which cannot be hidden, and it is a deep infection, all indicated by the words describing it. It is one that tears at the church and causes it to sink into a state of unholiness rather than purity. Reading the seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation shows us this quite clearly. The infection sets in, and the Lord warns that it needs to be excised. When such an infection then arises, it needs to be isolated. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul instructed the church about a member who was engaged in sexual immorality. When such a plague is identified, it is to be shut up and evaluated. In Israel, the priest using the law as his guide would do his evaluation. In the church, the Lord, through his word, identifies that which is plagued. The fact is that a person in Israel could simply ignore the plague and allow it to fester, and nobody outside of his house would be any the wiser. This doesn't negate the plague's existence. It simply means that the person refuses to acknowledge what is obvious. This would be most of the mainstream churches of this day. They will eventually be dealt with. They will be destroyed entirely to their last stone and to their last timber. All would be cast into the burning lake of fire. It's a very sad commentary on what will be the fate of many churches which have ignored the word of the Lord. But for the church that identifies and isolates such a plague, it is to be evaluated. If there is repentance reflected in the non-spreading of the plague, then the house is clean. If there is not, then the stones are to be removed. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says this, For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Now think of people as stones, okay? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. How do we know this is correct? Because in the New Testament, stones are equated with people, such as in 1 Peter chapter 2. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A church is a house. People are stones from which it is made. When the stones have a plague, they are to be removed. As I said, only the word abanim, or stones, and the word afar, or dust, are used here. These are created by God. They are his, and thus they are symbolically indicating no works which are involved in the process of building his house. Christ determines what his house is to be constructed of. When people are filled with unrepentant sin, they are to be excised from the church. After that, the church is to be given instructions in what necessitated the removal of the offenders, symbolized by removal of the defiled plaster. After that, the church can add its replacement stones and be recovered with sound doctrine. The plaster is doctrine. However, there is the obvious possibility that the problem is systemic. The doctrine is unsound. The infection is too deep. Such a church is of no value to the Lord. It will have its lampstand removed, and it will be destroyed. It, along with all who are in it, they will be sent to an unclean place. This is true with the church that doesn't reveal its leper's plague as well. As I said, a person could have such a plague in his house and ignore it. That doesn't negate the unclean state of it, nor does it negate the Lord's judgment. Hiding unrepentant sin in a church is no different than exposing it openly for all to see. In the end, the infection will be destroyed. Before I go on, think of all of the churches out there today where pastors are wearing these frocks, LGBT colors, and they're condoning this stuff in church. And this is exactly what was warned about 3,500 years ago in the book of Leviticus. Things that we are doing in our churches right now in America and all over the world, Australia, England, Germany, everywhere, an affront to God. I was listening to uh, R.C. Sproul on the way to uh, church this morning. I get a monthly uh, tape from him, and I was listening to it. 
and he was talking about the Reformation that's coming up this month, right? 400 years or 500 years since Martin Luther nailed the thing to the door of the Wittenberg Castle. And as he was saying that, I was thinking, what a disgrace is happening in most Lutheran churches around the world right now. And all of these churches that came out of the Reformation, which allowed sin into their congregation, they got the infection, they didn't excise it, and now the entire building is defiled. And not only that, they don't care. They're not even trying to call it out. But the Lord will judge those things. Anyway, this process explains the use of the plural and the singular verbs in verses 40 through 42. The church as a whole removes the stones or expels the offenders. That's from Paul's words. They together remove any offending doctrine and they begin again with a clean slate, even bringing in new members. This is reflected by the use of the plural in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, for example. As a church, they are to do these things. It also fits with Jesus speaking to the church as a whole in the letters to the seven churches. However, the elder of the church is responsible for ensuring that the new direction is sound, symbolized by the taking of mortar and then plastering of the house. This is reflected in the pastoral epistles where the words of doctrine and instruction are provided for the one who is responsible for these matters. In the end, the one responsible for the working of the church will have his church destroyed if he does not take care of the lingering infections in it. It's all pictured right here in this obscure passage, which I was standing in a church eight, ten years ago now, talking to a guy who happened to be a mildew specialist, and I said, ah, I know exactly what this passage is for. But I had the symbolism a little bit off, and so now you have a much more detailed evaluation of it. Lord, our house has a cancer. Sin infects this place. We know what we need to do, so help us as we do what is right. If we fail, from us you shall surely turn your face, and upon us will come a pall like the blackness of the night. Help us to be strong and stand against this sin. No matter what the world says, this is what is right. Against the evil infection, we are sure to win if we hold fast to your word, our guiding light. And when we have taken care of what needs to be done, may our doctrine be pure and never fail us. May we proclaim the grace of the giving of your Son and hold to the holiness found in the Lord Jesus. Our third thought today is the ritual of purification. It's verses 48 through 57. Verse 48, but if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the plague is healed. Hallelujah. The period for inspection is passed and no indication of a spreading plague is found. Instead, it is healed. This is now the last time that the word passa or spread is found in scripture. It was introduced in verse 13.5 and astonishingly, it has been seen 22 times since then. But now we say sayonara to it. The house is healed and so it is declared clean by the priest. With this good news comes the same ritual which was seen for the cleansed leper, verse 49. And he shall take to cleanse the house two birds, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop. This verse is very similar to verse 14.4. The only major difference is the birds there are described as alive and clean. This, however, is now understood and thus unnecessary. The same pictures for the same things and having the same meanings are seen in these items. Verse 50, then he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water. This verse corresponds directly to verse 14, 5. Verse 51, and he shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, and the living bird, and dip them in the blood of the slain bird and in the running water and sprinkle the house seven times. Though not in the same order of items mentioned in verse 6, the same procedures are followed here that were followed then. Everything here carries the same marvelous symbolism of the cleansing ritual that we looked at then and which encompassed verses 1 through 9. If you didn't see that sermon, your instructions for this afternoon should be clear. Go catch up. Very, I had one person email me and said that she was in tears watching that sermon about the beauty of Christ's work for us in verses 1 through 9. Verse 52, And he shall cleanse the house of the blood of the bird and the running water and the living bird with the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet. In verse 7, the leper was sprinkled seven times. Here, the house is sprinkled seven times, but the same symbolism carries through for the cleansed leper as is now seen for the cleansed house. 
Verse 53, then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in the open field and make atonement for the house and it shall be clean. This wonderful letting loose of the second bird and all the marvel that it pictures is seen for the house as well as for the leper. The bird is loosed in the open, atonement is made for the house and it is declared clean. The infection is healed. The doctrine of the church is sound and its members are pure and the Lord accepts them, having died for them and carried their sins away. In this, there is truly the sense of at one meant, which is implied by the term atonement. There was a rift, the rift was healed, and a sense of unity between the Lord and his church is realized. It is symbolized in this purification ritual, which was explained in detail in that sermon on verses 1 through 9. Verse 54, this is the law for any leprous sore and scale. This and the next three verses are a summary of everything which has been seen in chapters 13 and 14. The sore is noted all the way through verses 13, 2 through 46, but the scale is noted solely between verses 13, 31 through 37, where it is mentioned 13 times in just those few verses. Verse 55, for the leprosy of a garment and of a house. The leprosy of a garment is found in verses 13, 47 through 59, and that of a house comprises most of our verses for this sermon today. Verse 56, for a swelling and a scab and a bright spot. These symptoms are a repeat of verse 13, 2. Verse 57 finishes our verses on leprosy. To teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. This final verse is given as a note of closing over a matter which is obviously very, very much on the mind of the Lord. A total of 116 verses have been dedicated to these two chapters to teach Israel a lesson concerning obedience to strict rules maintaining holiness in the congregation, separating that which is pure from that which is defiled And as we have seen, these things are mere shadows and they are types of real spiritual infections which come up among people as individuals and as groups. The obvious thing that we are to see here in these two chapters is that the Lord has zero tolerance of sin. He calls it a leprosy. He calls the one infected with it a leper. He gives instructions on what to do to excise it. And if those instructions are not followed, he tells what the final remedy is. Banishment from the people of God if a saved person, destruction if an unsaved person. The pictures have been exact, the wording has been precise, and the consequences for our disobedience are sure to come. My heart goes out for you today. If you are engaged in sin, if your life is being lived contrary to the word of God, And if you think that you have hidden it well enough to fool the Lord, you are mistaken. You are a leper and you are unclean. And if you're a church which is openly engaged in sin or hiding it behind the walls and saying it's okay, we got the Catholic Church which has all kinds of stuff hidden. We have the mainstream churches in the world which are openly proclaiming this stuff. I tell you, I absolutely assure you that the Lord will search you out and he will expose your infection. I plead with you now to take heed to these past two chapters and to come to the Lord for healing. If you have been saved, return to him. If you have never called on him, do so today. He truly loves you and he truly desires the very, very best for you. And your sin is not what he desires. Come to the cross and be restored through the blood of Christ. That is what God asks of you. We went through it in the prophecy update today. Every single dispensation of man is saying, I want to give you my grace. I want to have a relationship with you. Don't do it your own way because you're going to fail and it's going to be miserable. Every single one of those dispensations, and it's all going to be highlighted in the tribulation period where people are going to have it their own way and they're going to destroy themselves. You think that Kim Jong-un is an accident? He is an accident, but I'm going to tell you what, he is part of what is coming on this world. Every time he sends off, you you see him, he's perverse. He sends off his missile and he claps and he smiles like a two-year-old because he's got, he is bent on destruction and that mentality is going to permeate planet earth after the rapture of the church. You need to be out of here at the rapture or you are going to suffer like you cannot imagine If you want to be a part of Christ's body, you're going to have to die by refusing the mark of the beast and probably getting your head whacked off. 
but it's going to be miserable. God offers you grace right now. He says, I have done everything necessary to reconcile you to me. I fulfilled the law of Moses. I gave my life in fulfillment of the law of Moses. I am the perfect sacrifice, and I can take all of your sin and all of your baggage and all of your guilt upon myself. And I died, and so it all dies with me. And you're a new creation in Christ because of that, by simply calling on Jesus, simply calling on him. I can't save myself. I need you to do it. Please, please forgive me of my sins. Wash me in your precious blood, and I will be clean. The leprosy will be gone. The infection will be healed, and you will be perfectly pure in the sight of God. And as a saved believer, if you have sin in your life, it's a leprosy. It's not going to keep you from heaven, but it will keep you from joy in this life. And it will diminish your rewards in the next life. Excise it. Take care of it. Talk to somebody about it. Let them help you through it. But get that out of your life. But call on the name of Jesus if you haven't. That is first and foremost. It's so important. I have a closing verse for you today from Proverbs chapter 3. It's verses 33 through 35. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. Think of that. Think of those churches out there right now talking about things which should not even be spoken of by a person who says, I'm a Christian. And they're not only talking about, they're condoning it. And they're saying, come and let's have a pervert party right in the church. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. Tell me that's not a sobering proverb right there. Next week is Leviticus 15, 1 through 18. You just got to know these verses will be a whole heap of fun. It's entitled Discharging Discharges. Part one. Part one. Thank you. That'll be our 25th Leviticus sermon. And I'll tell you this, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if you have a lifetime of sin heaped up behind you like leprosy in a plague, he can wash it away and he can purify you completely and wholly. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Our poem today is called Leprosy in the House. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, these are the words to them he was relaying. When you have come into the land of Canaan, which I give you as a possession, so I say, and I put a leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession, a plague arises some given day, and he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, it seems to me that there is some plague in the house. Yes, to him, this thought he is relaying. Then the priest shall command that the house they empty before the priest goes into it to examine the plague even the pet mouse, that all that is in the house may not be made unclean, and afterward the priest shall go in to examine the house, and he shall examine the plague. And indeed, if the plague is on the walls of the house, this is his call, with ingrained streaks, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house, inside no one stays, to the door of the house, and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look, and indeed, if the plague has spread on the walls of the house according to his book, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague on those stones have no pity, and they shall cast them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall cause the house to be scraped inside all around, and the dust that they scrape off every little bitty, they shall pour in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in place of the stones as well, and he shall take other mortar and plaster the house. So to you, I now these instructions tell. Now if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house, after he has taken away the stones as instructed to do, after he has scraped the house, and after he has plastered it too, then the priest shall come in and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread in the house, oh, what does it mean? It is an act of leprosy in the house. It is unclean, and he shall break down the house, its stones, its timbers, and such in this case, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, he who goes into the house, yes, inside he is seen, at all while it is shut up, shall be until evening unclean. And he who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, so he shall do. And he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes, he shall do as I am instructing you. 
But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the house, so it is revealed. After the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, because the plague is healed. And he shall take to cleanse the house, so he shall do two birds, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop too. Then he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel overrunning water. And he shall take the cedarwood, the hyssop, the scarlet, and the living bird, and dip them in the blood of the slain bird, and in the running water, and sprinkle the house seven times according to this word. And he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird, as to you I tell, and the running water and the living bird, with the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet as well. Then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in the open field, and make atonement for the house. It shall be clean. Yes, it is healed." This is the law for any leprous sore and scale, for the leprosy of a garment and of a house when it is seen, for a swelling and a scab and a bright spot to teach them when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. This is how it is to be. Lord God, help us to keep our house holy and pure. Keep the filemen away through doctrine sound and true. Please guide us as we take the path which is sure and stay obedient to your word and to you. Should sin come in and defile our house, should an infection arise in this sacred place, help us to be sure the infection to douse so that you will again turn to us your face. We are prone to wander, it is true, but through your word we have a light shining bright. May we cherish this guide lovingly given by you and to its precepts which direct us aright. Glory to you in the highest, our great and precious Lord. Hallelujah to you for your superior word. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the law of leprosy. It's been a lot of sermons and many, many verses, but it has been so instructional. It has been just a marvelous journey through passages that I think very, very few Christians alive today have ever read once. And if they have, they skipped through them quickly because it made no sense. But just by looking into the details, there it is. Christ revealed our Lord cleansing us from our impurity and asking us to be be pure from our impurity and to remain so all of our days. Lord, help us to do this. We're so, so prone to go back to our old ways. And when we get angry to have words come out of our mouth that shouldn't, or maybe to do something to somebody in revenge that we shouldn't do, but allow instead you to avenge, Help us to be Christians that others will want to see and to emulate. Help us to be people that non-believers will want to know more about our faith in Jesus. Help this to be true, Lord. And Lord, I thank you for all of the people that are a part of this ministry outside in the, the other areas of this world that are actually with us in spirit and are worshiping you together with us. It is so wonderful to know. It is such a great thing. And thank you for those who have taken the lead and are helping others in their their, uh, needs and calling others when there are times of trouble and fellowshipping through prayer. Lord, how can this be that this has happened in this little church in Sarasota, Florida, that you have given such a beautiful ministry to the people that attend here that we can say we have friends all over this world? Thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. I ask that you bless each person here in the week ahead. Thank you for delivering all of us from that storm. And uh, we pray for any who are still afflicted without power or with other troubles or those that may be in hospitals because of uh, having been hurt. We lift them up right now, Lord. Lord, you are so good to us. Thank you for your kind hand of grace upon us. And we commit our week ahead to you and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.